I'm thankful to be at a church where my pastor lets me preach from time to time. I appreciate it, man. If you guys will turn to Psalm 1, I will do just that. I'll preach. Even if you don't turn to Psalm 1, I'm going to preach. Lyle asked me to preach on discipleship. And the difficult thing about that is he might as well have just asked me to preach about life, you know. Because it's so all-inclusive. It's so, it's so big. And it takes on everything that we, it takes in everything that we are, you know. So, so to try to talk about that, it's a, it's a big challenge for me. And I think Psalm 1 is helpful in meeting that challenge because Psalm 1 introduces us to the whole book of Psalms. And in and, and doing that, it invites us into this world where the intuition of the people of God is exposed, where the most important themes that run throughout all of Scripture are brought to light and expounded upon in some of the most beautiful imagery that we could ever hope to read. You know, and so, so the Psalms, they kind of just lay out for us the grand narrative of the Scripture all in this one book. And so it's going to be really helpful for us to kind of see how does the book of Psalms paint the picture of what life is for us. And when we see that, it'll help us kind of get our heads around um, what God's calling us to when he calls us to discipleship, you know. Um, I went camping, I go camping a lot, but one time in particular I went, it was last October. Like not this one that just happened, but the one before that. So about a year and a half ago I went camping. And um, the thing is, in October... It's not supposed to snow. It hadn't snowed all year. It hadn't even been cold yet. And, and we go camping and hiking out in the Smokies. And there's four or five of us. And all of a sudden, we start hearing people talking about maybe leaving the Great Smoky Mountain National Park because there's a snowstorm coming. And we're like, yeah, right. I mean, it's like 50 degrees during the day and it might get down to 40. But it's not going to snow. But we wake up the next morning and the ground is covered in snow. And I don't mean like there's a little bit of snow that you can see some white on the ground in some places. I mean, you can't see the grass because it's covered in snow about six inches deep. And if you can't see the grass, guess what else you can't see? The trail, which is kind of imposing because you're out in the middle of the mountains, you know, and you kind of want to be able to see the trail. And so we, we take off on this hike in spite of the snowstorm because we need to get to where we left our car you know, we ain't got no choice. We got to go. And and so we we make the hike. And one of the guys who's with us has never been hiking before. And because of that, he didn't have really the right gear. And the main thing that he did was he packed his pack way too heavy. And so we're all going really slow to allow him to keep up with this. But then finally, one of my buddies is like too cold. He can't handle it. So he and I decide, OK, we're going to go ahead. We're going to we're going to go to the to the shelter first. And you guys are going to stay with our guy that's kind of lagging behind and you're going to make sure that he gets there. Okay. Cause we don't want to leave anybody by himself in this weather. And so my buddy and I, we run ahead. I mean, we're jogging basically to the shelter and we get there and we get dinner ready for everybody and they're all kind of set up and ready. And we start talking to the other people in the shelter about our friend and how he's kind of holding everybody up. And then all of our friends arrive at the shelter, except the slow guy. And we're like, what? You can't leave him out there by himself. He, anything could happen. You know, he could fall off the cliff. He, anything could happen. He has no idea where he's going. So we're getting ready to get dressed and go back and find the guy. 
when he comes finally like walking through the door and he just is like, man, I've never been so happy to see a log cabin in my life, you know, and, and we ask him, dude, how did you, I mean, how did you make it, you know, and he said in his redneck way, like he's twice as much a redneck as I am. He, he said, man, I just kept on putting one foot in front of the other, you know, and, and I guess that's, I guess that's how you do it. If you're in the middle of the woods, in the middle of a snowstorm, and you need to get to the shelter, you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And you might have heard, I'm sure you've heard the cliche before that the journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step, right? And that is very true. But it's also true that a fatal plummet off a sheer rock face starts. With a single step in the wrong direction. And so when we think about discipleship, here's what I, here's what I think it is. I think discipleship is the process whereby we begin to learn what it means to stay on the path. We begin to learn what it is to commit our whole life to this path that's called the, um, it's called all kinds of things in the scripture. You can call it your walk with Christ. You can call it the Christian life. You can call it the journey of the believers. Whatever you want to call it. But this, this calling that we have to be like Jesus becomes an all-consuming calling. So it doesn't just take part of our life. We can't compartmentalize our life and put part of it over here with Jesus and keep the rest of it over here for ourselves. But we must constantly yield in every aspect of our lives to the instruction of God. And that's what discipleship is. I know that we have this thing where we kind of tend to compartmentalize our lives. And so, you know, we were driving past a, a Chinese restaurant the other day. And Hefe um, kept on calling it the, the China Cottage or whatever. The Chinese, you know, the, it's, it's a funny name. Anyway, it's kind, of like, it's kind of like eating at a Chinese restaurant sometimes in life. Because we just eat our meal, and then we think at the end we're going to like open up a fortune cookie and we're going to get this pearl of wisdom, right? And we kind of expect life to be like that, where we're going to do all the normal mundane aspects of our life. And then what's going to happen is we're going to walk into church, and somebody's going to say something that's going to stir us, or somebody's going to like say this sentence that's going to stick with us, and it's going to change us. The problem is change doesn't happen that way. It's not a bite-sized sort of deal. But change happens over time as we continually, over and over and over again, make decisions that reflect the rightness of God. And every time we make a decision in obedience, it becomes easier next time to make a decision in obedience. And every time we make a decision in disobedience, it becomes easier next time. To make a decision in disobedience. So we can't expect it to all happen instantly. When we turn to Psalm 1, this is exactly what we find out. Let's read the first little bit of it. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So we got wicked sinners, scoffers, all kind of interchangeable terms for those who are not 
on the path, right? And then we've got walk, stand, sit. And that there's a big fancy word called metonymy. And a metonymy is when you use words that, that are paired together and they're like on opposite ends of a spectrum. So sit and walk, right? That means everything in between. It's kind of letting you know this is every single thing you do. Every single thing this man does is on the path and not associated with the wicked. So he has dissociated himself from wickedness in every single thing that he does. And that's what that's what this happy man is like. But it's not just about what he doesn't do. It's about what he does do. It says his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. So in order to kind of figure out what this is about, we have to figure out what this law is. And the word for law here is Torah. Um, Torah, it can refer, it refers to a lot of things throughout scripture. First of all, it refers to the giving of the law to Moses. When he was on the mountain, Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, depending on if you're in Exodus or Deuteronomy. But when he's on the mountain, he receives Torah from God and he brings it down the mountain and delivers it to the people. And at that moment, the nation of Israel is birthed, right? So that's Torah. It's that actual law, that book of the covenant that he brings down. But it also refers to the entire first five books of the Old Testament, um, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Referred to as the Torah, right? Not only that, it can refer to the entire revelation of God. It can refer to all of God's word. So from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the word Torah is often used to describe that body of literature. Everybody following with me here? So Torah is the word of God. On our Wednesday nights, we've learned that Torah is the life-giving Word of God that teaches and trains us in God's ways. So if you're to walk up to one of the Wednesday night kids and ask them, what is Torah? That's what they're going to tell you. Or they might just look at you funny and say, I don't know, you know. But hopefully they would say, Torah is the life-giving Word of God that teaches and trains us in God's ways. So what we get here is, happy is the man who delights in the revelation of God. Happy is the man who thinks about the revelation of God. Happy is the man who spends his time focused on thinking about submitting to the revelation of God. And and the way this works, this psalm fits very squarely into what's referred to as wisdom literature. And I know we talked about before the wisdom, we kind of get it in our minds like it's some kind of piece of paper that's stuck inside a fortune cookie. But that's not the idea of wisdom that we have in the Old Testament. Not at all. Wisdom instead is, it's a life skill. It's a craft that is accumulated with much practice. So, for example, you would say that a person who has become very skilled with, um, with being a blacksmith, right? That person has acquired wisdom then. Or, for example, somebody who's become a great pilot. They have wisdom for their craft of of navigating with an airplane, right? Or, for example, Laura's dad, who helped me build my guitar, that's wisdom. Like, he's learned this craft, he's perfected this craft with 
constant repetition, doing it over and over and over again, he's become very good at it. Right? Last night, Callie Brooks was talking about how fast I text. And the reason I can text so fast is because I've done it so much. Man, I know where those buttons are, dude. I can, I can whip out a text message in no time flat. Because I've done it so much. So wisdom is this skill that we glean from practicing something over and over and over again. And that's what this psalm is talking about. This person, this happy person, this blessed person is the one who has put into practice over and over and over again all the instruction that's contained in the word of God. So that it has become like second nature for him to obey it. It's become like second nature for him to do what God has called him to do. So that's what this is about. And what we discover is that this person is like, if you'll follow with me in verse 3, he's like a tree. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers. So this person who gives himself to God's instruction becomes like a tree. But as I've studied this text, what I found out is that it's not just any tree. He's not just like some wild tree, like hanging out in the backyard of somebody's house. He's not just some randomly occurring tree out in a forest somewhere. But this word planted, a better translation for that word would be transplanted. And the picture that we have here is a picture of a royal garden. So kings weren't just supposed to be known for their military prowess. But instead, the king at this time, what he had to have was a green thumb. Isn't that kind of crazy? We don't think about a king needing to be a good gardener. But at this time, it's one of the highest skills one could learn is the art of horticulture. And so what would happen is that kings, they would travel all over the world with their armies, right? They would travel to all these different countries, all these foreign lands. And while they're doing that, as they conquer foreign nations, they would bring home as a souvenir, as a trinket, a tree from the foreign land. And they would transplant it to their garden. And so as they make their way through their garden, what they have are these living reminders of all the lands they visited. These living reminders of all these places they've conquered. And so... These trees would receive the very highest care. They would receive the very best nourishment. And they would be under the constant watch, the constant care of this king, the royal gardener. And what happens is, as this tree receives this great care, this tree becomes native to this royal garden. And it becomes the kind of tree that belongs in such a place as that. You might imagine, man, one of these trees, I mean, it's going to be kind of pleasant to get all this good nourishment, to get all this good, you know, give me that fertilizer, man, give me that water, let's do this, you know. That's great. But what about when the pruning shears come out? I've seen Randy Brooks work on a tree. And it is not a pleasant ordeal for the tree, believe me. Because you've got branches flying, you've got limbs falling down, You've got some serious work being done. And so being under the care of a master gardener is not always pleasant. But discipleship 
requires that we yield ourselves to the care of the Lord when it's pleasant and when it's unpleasant. That we yield ourselves to the instruction of the Lord over and over. We keep putting one foot in front of the other to stay on the path, no matter how difficult that becomes. And what we find is that the wicked are not like this tree at all. But as they walk away from the path of the righteous over and over, their very being becomes more and more insubstantial. More and more insignificant. Even to the degree that they're compared to the chaff that even a gust of wind can blow away. And as the winnowing dish is full of harvested wheat and the harvesters toss it into the air. The wind comes and blows the chaff away while the wheat falls into the dish and is retained there and put to good use. But the picture is that the wicked are like that chaff. They're so light. They become so insignificant. Their very being withers away to a degree that they're just worthy of being blown away. And just like becoming a person who reflects God's instruction doesn't happen in an instant, so becoming a person who's lost the ability to reflect God's goodness doesn't happen in an instant. But it happens as a result of decision after decision to walk away from the pleadings of the Lord. And decision after decision to yield to one's own desires instead of the good path that's set before a person. Guys, we kind of expect, we kind of expect change to happen the way a vending machine does business, don't we? Don't we kind of expect it, you know, we'll go through a week of, you know, not not really having a week when we're really, really walking with the Lord. Not having a week when we're really spending time in the Word. Not having a week when we're really spending time in prayer. Not having a week when we're really honoring Him with our decisions. And then we think we're going to show up on church on Sunday morning and Lyle's going to spill out a beautiful sentence that's going to change our lives. Aren't we kind of guilty of that? Like we're just going to pop the quarters in the vending machine and out's going to come that nice cold Mountain Dew that we've been craving. Out's going to come that kernel of wisdom that's going to set us on the right track. Out's going to come that sermon that's going to really just shake us up and, and make us act right for a while, you know. But the text doesn't say that the blessed man is like a vending machine located right where you want it on a hot summer day says that this blessed man is like a tree. And I don't know if you've ever tried to pop a couple of quarters in a tree and hope for an apple, but that's not the way it works. But with constant care, constant attention to detail, constant yielding to the things that are needed for good health, a tree can eventually begin to produce fruit and then it's a delight not only to the gardener but to everyone who passes by that tree and so the idea is that as God cares for us as God corrects us as God teaches us as God cuts away the parts of our lives that are hurtful to us 
we become those who are native to the royal garden. We become those who are fit for a holy place. We become those who don't stick out like a sore thumb when we're in the space of God Almighty. But we become those who belong there because of the patterns that have been formed in our hearts. Because of the patterns of rightness that have been formed in our lives. We begin to belong where God is. We begin to belong where the people of God are. And as a result of that, you know what happens? The world looks on and they see reflected in God's people, God's goodness. They see us love each other. They see us care for each other. They experience our kindness toward them. And they recognize the goodness of God that's been formed in us. Jesus came to be the fully unfolded revelation of God. Jesus came to be the fully effective revelation of God. He came to be the true and lasting Torah. He came to be the final instruction from the Lord. And in His obedience, as He trod His path step by step, putting one foot in front of the other, even though it led to His death, He accomplished the obedience required of all humanity. And because of that, when we place our faith in Him, we receive the life that He demonstrated as He resurrected from the grave. And His Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us, and the Holy Spirit preaches to us constantly the instruction of God. The Holy Spirit preaches to us constantly, stay on the path. Yield to God's instruction. Become who you were meant to be. And that constant preaching, that constant correction, forms in us the goodness of Christ. So that we can reflect God's ways. And we can reflect God's beauty to all of those who come in contact with us. I was reading, in preparation for this message, I was reading a story about a guy who was a master outdoorsman. The guy had all the skills that you need to be able to traverse the most difficult terrains in the world. And he wanted a, a very stiff challenge and so we did some research on some backcountry trails in the Grand Canyon. And because he wanted it to be a great challenge, he decided that he wanted to do this by himself. And so he goes into the Grand Canyon onto one of these backcountry trails in search of this gushing waterfall that comes flowing out of the side of a cave. And the problem is that as you get into the Grand Canyon, well, the problem is it's a canyon. And so there's walls everywhere, and what you think you hear isn't necessarily coming from where you think it's coming from. And so his map told him to go one direction. The trail seemed to tell him to go that direction, but his ears told him he could find this thing faster if he went another direction. And so he took off his pack and kind of unburdened himself of the extra weight that he had and so that he could get to this waterfall more quickly and see it and be on his way. And 
So he, he took a few steps and it seemed like he was on the right track. And before he knew it, he was in a creek bed and he continued to follow it for a few minutes. Um, and this creek bed, um, you know, usually if you find a creek bed, you're on the right track. You're going to find water pretty soon. But out west, it doesn't work like that. These creek beds can be hundreds of miles and they can be dry for five years and then suddenly fill up in an instant if a storm is to come. I mean, it's, it's not like out here. But he follows this creek bed, and as he follows it, he comes to about a 20-foot drop. And so being the master outdoorsman that he is, he's able to jump down that 20-foot drop, and, and he's fine, and he continues on his way. Later, he comes to a 40-foot drop, and he can see over the horizon. It looks like he's getting to the right place. He's going to come across this waterfall that he's looking for. And he jumps, and he gets to the bottom of the 40-foot drop. And... Most people, that's going to be about it. But he, he made it. Um, he journeys just, just a little bit further. And, and what he finds is that he's surrounded by walls, 40 foot high. And in front of him is a 100 foot drop. And he is miles and miles and miles from civilization at this point. And that's, that's where he ended up being discovered. Um, having lost his life. Lost. In, in the wilderness like that. And, and here's, here's the beautiful thing. For those of us who are in Christ, He is the path. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that's exactly what He meant. I am the path that you follow. I am the Torah. I am God's instruction. And in me, you have great safety, great security for all eternity. You have life. But here's the thing. There is no halfway We're either on the trail or we're in great trouble. And we're in need of some intervention from the Lord to to get us on the path. What we have to be aware of as believers, and I think this is deeply important, is that there's no such thing as a Christian who's not a disciple. There's no such thing as an unyielded Disciple. There's no such thing as a child of God who hasn't surrendered to the Lord. So I just want to, I just want to ask some questions to get us thinking about whether we're really yielded to the Lord. And the first question I want to ask, are you yielded to the Lord in the area of your relationships? And here's, here's how we can test that. Like, for students especially, like, are you asking minimal questions? Like, does the Lord really mind if I do this? Does the Lord really mind if I do that? Because if you're asking minimal questions like that, you're really not yielded. You're really looking for excuses to be yielded to yourself. Another way to test whether we're yielded to the Lord in our relationships is, do we find ourselves becoming more and more patient with other people? Do we find ourselves in the heat of the moment? Is it becoming more and more natural to respond with love to people who would provoke us otherwise? We're not going to be perfect. We're not going to get it just right. But is it becoming more and more natural for us to respond rightly in those moments? How about in the area of finances? Are you yielded to the Lord in the area of your finances? And here's how, here's how we can test that. 
Are we asking ourselves, how much of my money can I keep? Or are we asking ourselves, how can I free myself up to be more generous? Like, what's the, what's the disposition of our heart when it comes to finances? Which of those two is it? Which question occurs to us more naturally? Are you yielded to the Lord in your imagination? So if, here's the question that goes with that. If you were to carry out the things that you fantasize about, would you be a person of greater faithfulness or lesser faithfulness? Would you be a person of greater gentleness or of greater harshness? Have you yielded your imagination to the Lord? God wants to craft us into those who reflect His image with clarity. He wants to craft us into those who are native to the holy space. Native to the garden of the king. He wants us to be reminders of his grace. He wants us to be reminders of the great conquest that he has achieved over every enemy. And for us to begin to reflect his goodness that way, we've got to yield to his instruction. So there's several ways to respond. Number one, it might be the case that you're just thinking, man, I don't know if I'm on this path in the first place. I don't know if I've ever really given myself to Christ. I don't know if I've ever really placed my faith in his obedience and his death and his resurrection to be my only hope. Like, I don't know if I've done that. And if that's the case, I'd love to talk to you, pray with you, help you understand how it is that you can become a child of God. Or it might be that you're just thinking, man, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure I'm a child of God. I'm pretty sure I experienced the Holy Spirit preaching in my heart. I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm on this path. But man, there's some areas where it just seems like there's some more yielding that needs to take place. I need you to pray for me. There are some habits in my life that have taken root. And they're threatening to, to, to make my life much less than what it could be. And I need prayer that, that the Lord would dislodge these habits and put in their place habits of rightness. Maybe there's a relationship that's just not, it's not what it should be. It might be that you're holding on to bitterness. It might be that you're holding on to a person you've got to part ways with, you know. Um, I'd be happy to pray for you about that. But whatever it is, I'm just going to ask the Lord in this time right now. I'm going to ask Him to come and show us where there's some more yielding to do. Just shine that light in our hearts and let us know that. And then I'm going to ask Him... And that's going to that's gonna wound us if he does that, right? When he shows us these places in our hearts that where there's this pain. I mean, he's going to reach in and there's going to be some wounding that happens as a part of that. But I'm going to ask him to heal us. I'm going to ask him to come and heal us where those wounds are. So I'm, I'm going to pray. And you guys pray with me. Lord, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your care. And your affection for those of us who are in Christ. I thank you, Lord, for your determination to make us those who reflect your goodness. And I pray that you would teach us to yield to that. Come, Lord, and show us in our hearts where it is that, that we're still holding on to our own life. We're not letting go. We're not giving you control. 
Lord, that we're still trying to yield to ourselves and, and please our selfish nature. Lord, come and show us that. And Lord, I pray that you'll come and heal us from the hurt that that creates. We love you and we trust you and we entrust ourselves to you. All because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. In his name that we pray. Amen.